<laughs> Who's racing this weekend? <laughs> Me. <laughs> oh, you're racing. <laughs> Good luck. Should be fun. Debo, do you uh, do you like? Feel like you race right now? I'm very happy to not be racing. Okay. <laughs> I really am excited to do it again someday, though. But I'm having just as much fun Doing this? getting to BS with you for hours <laughs> on end. This is great. All right, Derek, how are we doing? Recording there? Ready to do stream? I need to sit like close to this? Am no. I good? Yeah, okay. I think I think we should be good. Okay. We're live. We're live. We're live again. Welcome, worldwide ultra fans. It is the third edition of uh, I Run Far Live here. It is Thursday afternoon, about 4 p.m. So what are we, like 36 hours away from the start of the Western States 100? I'm not racing and I still just felt jitters down. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> anyway. Um, so Sorry for the for the audience online. We do got a nice a nice live audience here. Let's make some noise and let the people online know who's here. Yes, and we're broadcasting live from the coffee bar here in Olympic Village. And uh, thank you to them. They've been great hosts. They were very excited to support us with this new exciting interview format so thank you to the coffee bar please give them some business as a thank you thanks also to our sponsors uh, dry max buff and jaybird sports who support iron far who of course is a invaluable resource for our community so make sure you oh, support keep talking, them as dylan. well yes <laughs> um anything else we need to mention no, well this that. is dylan bowman yes. and i'm megan Hicks. i always forget that part <laughs> and we're here with our our first afternoon interview view is with camelia mayfield hi <laughs> so camelia you are sort of an up-and-coming runner in the sport you've had a lot of really impressive performances in the last couple of years uh, you live in Bend, if I'm not mistaken, Bend, mm -hmm. Oregon, and you raced your way in uh, just a couple months ago at the Lake Sonoma 50 miler, which is one of the most competitive 50 milers in the U.S., as everybody here I'm sure already understands. Was that your goal going into the race? Were you looking to achieve a, a golden ticket and, and race here at Western States, or was it a surprise? Um, definitely not for that race. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I had kind of put the dreams of Western States for this year um, on the back burner. Um, I've got a couple other things going on in my life, so I'm like, you know, I think maybe another year of developing my running would be fine. Um, I had done Chuckanut the month prior, and I didn't perform as well as I hoped to. And so I just, going into it, I didn't have a ton of confidence, but I'm, I just wanted to have fun, and I knew there was some really talented women racing it, so I'm like, you know, I'll just, shoot for top 10 um, <laughs> and so pretty early in the race I figured out that maybe I'd do a lot better than that um, so it's definitely a great surprise and I think anytime you personally for me anytime you get a chance to race a race like this that's so competitive you just got to take it <laughs> I mean so this is an interesting story this is going to be your first hundred miler and you just decided like two months ago to do it <laughs> just jump right in well, I, I feel like I've been preparing to do a 100-miler for a long time, okay. at least 
emotionally and mentally. Um, <laughs> Which is like more than half the battle. <laughs> yes, um, that's always that's been my goal since I've started doing ultra marathons. That I wanted to race this race, um, I, as I think a lot of people who are doing it now and are continuously entering the lottery. I mean, it's a bucket list um, race. So. It was a little bit daunting, you know, just racing 50 miles in, I think it was like 75, maybe 80 degrees that day. And yeah, I'm it like, felt really hot, didn't yeah. it? it felt very hot. So when I finished, I'm like, okay, I can do double that, right? Maybe like 20 degrees warmer, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was, I knew that it'd be a challenge. And, um, you know, initially I, I was talking to Brian with I Run Far, I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely taking it. And then my fiance was like, let's let's step back a minute. Like, don't feel like you have to do it. Um, but it definitely gave me that chance to evaluate and just really be like, you know, I do want to do this. Yes, it might be a big jump, but you never know till you try it. Um, so I Run Far interviewed you once before after your uh, podium finish at Lake Sonoma, but the uh, viewing world, the I Run Far viewing world, still doesn't know too much about you. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about your background in running? I think you were a D1 collegiate runner, and I, I suppose you ran high school also. Yeah, um, I grew up in Ashland, Oregon. Some of you may know that's where Hal Kerner lives now, and he actually had just started the running store in town when I started high school. Um, so I trail running definitely kind of um, gained some interest during that time. Um, I then went on to run at Portland State University um, for my last three years of college. They convinced me to stay for a fifth year. Um, Is that where Ruth Croft ran? Did you know her? She did run there, yeah. and I was nowhere close to getting her her record in oh, the 10K. Okay. <laughs> She's very very strong, so I don't. You, that's nothing to be ashamed of. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I did the 10K there. Um, actually, doing the regional um, meet for the 10K back in 2015 was the last time I had to do any sort of heat training, um, with regionals being in Austin. Um, and then the past two and a half years um, after college. I've just been increasing my distance, um, doing a lot more trail races, which is pretty easy when you live in Bend. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, in, in addition to sort of your interesting personal history, you also have an interesting family history, particularly when it comes to this race, right? Your dad has done the race, and I think you said your mom was pregnant with you one year when he ran the race. Yeah, um, I believe he did it at least two years, um, 1991 and 1992. Mm -hmm. And I was born in 1992, um, <laughs> June 28th, don't steal my identity. <laughs> um, so actually he was finishing, um, I think he finished the race just like a few hours before I was born. Um, no and, way. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, unfortunately, due to drive time and lack of cell phones back then, um, he did end up missing my birth. And it's it's very interesting, like, talking to him because he's, he's coming down. I know. What a great story. <laughs> um, but it is interesting talking to him about this race because um, it definitely holds some special memories for him. Like, he can forget, like, life events that we've done and all that but then he's like oh yeah at forest hill like you're gonna feel this way and devil's thumb that's you know like the hardest part mm -hmm. so it's definitely interesting the way that um he has that history at this race 
So did you say that he's going to be crewing you this weekend? Um, he'll, he'll be around. He'll okay. be mainly spectating. <laughs> Emotional um, support. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, choosing your crew for this race is probably one of the most difficult decisions <laughs> you have because um, in some ways it's harder than running it. You know, the focus is making sure that you're in the right spot. You have all the things that you need to have. And at the same time, you're also, the crew is also sleep deprived and has to have their own nutrition and all that. So, um, <laughs> you thought this through though. Yeah, I have. That's so interesting. I mean, with that story and the fact that you grew up in Ashland, which is the home of both uh, Hal Kerner and Tim Olson when he won there's the race, some there's some serious history. Yeah, serious <laughs> history and success that's come out of that town. So, yeah. I think that bodes well for you. But we're also curious, since this is your first 100 miler and certainly the most competitive race you've been a part of in your short career thus far. Mm -hmm. Do you have competitive ambitions you want to talk about going into the race? Or is it more of just like, I'm going to sort of let myself develop as an athlete, get a good finish under my belt, and hopefully come back in the future and, and do even better? Mm -hmm. I'd say definitely more of the second mm -hmm. option. Um, I think one of the hardest things about running is you... It, essentially this is like a championship race mm -hmm. and you have no control about how the other people are going to handle the race mm -hmm. all you have is control over yourself um, so my plan is just to run within my own ability um, really especially early on just take those internal gauges of how I'm feeling and how I hope to be feeling and, and go from there cool um, I think are you a coach I am. Okay. Is that is that your job or what do you do professionally? No, um, professionally I'm a caseworker. Okay. Yeah, for wow. the state of Oregon. So I also have a pretty emotionally demanding nine to five job. Mm. Um, and then I coach for Trails and Tarmac on the side. Um, do you, uh, going into an event like this that has a ton of unknowns, that's not unfamiliar territory for a lot of people here who are going to be racing everywhere from the front to the back of the pack. Are you analytical in your approach? Are you, um, like, really just trying to absorb how everything feels moment to moment? Or what's your thought process going to be out there? Um, I'd say I'm definitely more moment to moment okay. like just really running in a mindful way about um, taking taking basically just that inventory of what my body needs what emotionally I need um, I in in the past I feel like every race is training for something every life event is training for something and I hope that when it gets very hard that I can pull on some of those experiences of when other races have been really difficult or um, I felt hopeless before and, and gone through it. So I'm sure there will be those moments. Cool. Well, maybe one more question. Um, I just mentioned you, you know, you're from Ashley, but you live in Bend now. And Bend is also a hotbed of trail and ultra running. And people who have been really successful at this race, including Stephanie, Violet, Ian Sharman, who are both in the race this year, Mario Mendoza as well, Amy Sproston. Um, have you gone on any runs with them or hung out with them and gleaned any advice from their experience? Yeah, um, definitely Ian Sharman has been a wealth of advice um, since he's also a coach. He's very, you know, outspoken in sharing his knowledge. Um, I did the Memorial Weekend um, training camp, so we shared some miles together. And then, of course, um, 
Stephanie and I also sometimes run together. I think it's definitely difficult. Um, I, I'm one of the, I don't know, I know some of them have, you know, of course, like full-time jobs as well, but my schedule is pretty rigid, so it can be kind of hard to, when, when other people are training at such a high level, coordinating schedules can be very difficult. Sure, sure. <laughs> but it's good to have that wealth of information at your fingertips if you need it. Definitely, and just knowing, like, what are the good trails to go to, <laughs> what other people are doing when, you know, it's 40 degrees and we're trying to train for the heat. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been great to get to know you a little bit, and uh, you seem wise beyond your years and experience. Um, so good luck this weekend. I think uh, it'll be a really interesting race to watch, and we wish you nothing but the best. So a round of applause, please, for Camilla Mayfield. Thank you so much. Thanks, Camelia. <laughs> that was awesome. Thanks. We can both fit, even though we're big, <laughs> tall men. Well, I think my English is still the same, eh? I think your English is always good. Your English is great. Yeah. Look at how many people are here to see you. It's pretty cool, <laughs> huh? Make him nervous. Make him nervous? I think Francoise, cool you can't shake this customer, guy. Yeah. Ready to get started, Mr. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Okay, so we'll just riff. Just say hello to yeah. Alright everybody. Okay, welcome oh, back. Oh, hang on for a second. Sorry. A little technical difficulties I think. Good to go? Alright, we're back. We are here at the coffee bar in Olympic Valley. This is I Run Far Live at Western States. It's happy hour, Thursday. It's about 36 hours till the start of the 2018 Western States. We're here with Francis Francois Dehaene. How's it, how's it going? Fine. Happy to be here. Just hello everybody. <laughs> so Francois, you're obviously a man who needs no introduction, even here in the U.S., uh, one of the great champions of, uh, of our sport. So 
it's an honor to have you here in the U.S. and running Western States again. You have a short history at this race. In 2015, you had a somewhat difficult 14th place finish, and then in 2016, you had a foot injury, if I'm not mistaken, that kept you from even starting the race, even though you traveled all the way out here. So, and in thinking about your career in the last two or three years, those are some of the only blimps on your resume, some of the only races that you haven't won. Um, and so, I guess my question for you is, what have you learned from you know your experience in 2015 and your disappointment in 2016 that you you think will help you be successful this this weekend? Successful this weekend, uh, <laughs> I, I hope, but we never know with uh, ultra trail. So yeah, I, I learn a lot, but you, I learn like in each ultra and every year, every day. But uh, I think I was a little bit unlucky. But uh, I think there's there's more more things that just uh, lucky thing or not lucky thing. I think uh, I have always the same season each year, and I was, I think, a little bit sideways end of June. So that's why I think, okay, I, I, I jump on a rock and I break a bone. So uh, you can say it's not lucky or lucky, you break it, it's right. not your fault. But maybe if you are more tired, maybe you break it. And in 2015, I think I was really in good fit because I was lucky to, to run with Rob Quarr. And still forested, it was really, yeah. really impressive. Yeah. And you were in the race, yeah. huh? it was incredible. It was incredible, yeah. yeah. And I was really happy to have this experience with mm -hmm. him. But then I have, I have a big stomach problem that I, I discovered it like uh, one month later. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's it, maybe I was tired, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's why this year I, I try to change it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't plan some big race like you in April. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, ju I just plan to, to, to make some more easy race mm -hmm. in April, just to, to plan to prepare a little bit dif differently. Mm -hmm. And in May I take like two or three weeks just rest, and then I, I go back and running and running and running. Mm -hmm. And uh, normally my preparation is a little bit different. Now uh, this race is very, very different from our ultra trail. Even it's, it will be long, sure. The, the terrain is not the same and the temperature is yeah. really not the same <laughs> so uh, I, I'm, I, I don't know if I can be too warm and I, I can make a good race here mm -hmm. but I try to put uh, all the chance in my uh, with me sure. this year so I, I try it so mm -hmm. now we will see I hope it will be okay if it's not okay I have a lot of pleasure in my progression I'm excited to be there it will be a nice adventure and I think we both made, and you too, we made this sport just to, to dive this kind of adventure. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. So I'm I'm just happy to, to try it. Good, good. Can I ask you about, because this race is so different from ultra trails in Europe, um, with the heat and it being a, a much more runnable course, how have you adapted your training and your preparations specifically for Western States this year? I, I try to adapt it. But uh, for, for the heat, I, I tried to go in French. We were not lucky because it, it was not warm at all this yeah. this June. So I cannot train a lot in, in in like warm temperature. I was a little bit in Corsica, so it's a little bit more warm. But I tried to do like maybe 10 or 20 sauna since April. So for me, it was hard because I'm not useful with that. So at the beginning, I, I was like just 10 <laughs> minutes or 20 minutes. And at the end, I was like 30, 35 minutes. So I think it, something's happened a little bit in my body. So I hope it could be maybe better in the warm uh, on Saturday. And then for the training, 
uh, at the beginning of the year I said okay I have to train more on flat I, I have to train more my, my like how fast I, I, I can be on the, on the flat but I, I don't like it so uh, I, I think a lot about that and I think that uh, my way to train is my way to train I have to keep it maybe it could be a this could be something better for me in the ascent and yeah I think it's my uh, you have some defaults you have some uh, faculties Mm. And I, I try to keep my faculty, so yeah, I train a little bit more on the flat, but I, I don't change a lot my training because it will be, even if it's more uh, fast, it's, it's a long race. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting, and I think a lot of people think about you, obviously, as a world-class mountain ultra runner, races like UTMB. And I think people forget that you actually have done well and faster courses, including finishing second at the North Face 50, which is one of the most competitive races in the U.S. every year on very fast terrain. Do you feel like this course, like, do you feel disadvantaged on this course compared to guys like Jim or Tim who, who live and train in Flagstaff with more flat terrain and hotter temperatures? Or do you, do you think you have the capability to, to run as well here as you do in the mountains? I, I think I, I can have the, capa the ca capacity to run here um, like in UTMB because it's we, we, we mustn't forget that it's an ultra trail and ultra trail is always very long you have to adapt you have to do many things and finally uh, it's just it's incredible but it's just 11 kilometers so you know, I, I'm not sure I can run like a 10k in 30, 30 minutes or 41 minutes or 42 minutes. I'm sure I, I, I can't actually, <laughs> but but I'm sure it's not necessary for for that race. Uh, but what what is hard for me is just that um, you have to run, 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 and run again. Mm -hmm. In in the Alps, you have to run maybe fast, but then you can walk, and run, and walk, and run. And I think um, uh, I, I'm I'm better when you have to change everything for your muscle and this is what is hard for maybe the other runner and this is what I really like because in my training I always ascend, descend, I can walk, I can run, I can climb and here you have to run and run and run and run again. I think this this will be hard. The the, the race pace for me doesn't, I, I'm not, I don't think it will be hard to, to follow it because it, it will be like 14 miles, 14 kilometers by hour. Yeah. I, I can do it like not easily, right, but right. it's not the problem. The problem is that uh, you have to, you have to run day. sometimes yeah. during like five hours without stop. Yeah. Yeah. Without our walking break. Yeah. yeah. I think this is more hard than how, how fast is it. Running in 30 or 41 minutes, I think it's not necessary for the race. Yeah. I want to ask you about your relationship with the United States. You've come here to run so many times now. You've come for Western States now three times. You've come for the North Face. You've come to run the John Muir Trail and have a, a, a vacation around the U.S. What's the deal with you and trail running here? No, it's a, it's a big country, so you have many, country. many things to discover. And I just, I was mainly in the, in the West part, actually. So uh, I really would like to discover the north part and some other place with some nice mountain. In Colorado, it was just one time. Uh, it was just amazing. Uh, I really would like I really would like to come for new beer miles in Colorado. So uh -huh. I think it's a very very important race. Yeah. But <laughs> no, I, I really like it. You know, when I go back there, I just remember the John Muir Trail with this blue sky with this kind of mountain. Even when you take the highway from San Francisco from here, you mm -hmm. when you are at the pass. It just everything is 
Noir Abbey, yeah. everything is so nice. The trees are different, the, the rocks are different. I, I really like it and I was really in love in, with the German trail. I speak with you like two days after, I was just uh, like in a dream. <laughs> and I really, really enjoy it. So I, I like I like the Alp, but it's different. It's more like secret, it's mm. more ice, more maybe it's, it's different. And um, yeah, I think here for running, it's very nice. And people are more like relaxing, more cool, it's more... Uh, it's less stressful, you know, the week before you UTMB, you can feel it in Chamonix, yeah, it's, it's totally different. Yeah. Here you are like two days before Western States, you can work here, you can go in a restaurant, it's easy in UTM, for UTMB, I, I can't do that. So well, I'm really happy to, to be there and have the possibility to relax a little bit. And like on that subject of UTMB and the John Muir Trail, of course, you're the 2017 champion of the UTMB, which was one of the most incredible performances I think we've seen in a generation. And then doing the John Muir Trail, what was it, only four or five weeks after? Six weeks after what was an incredibly difficult, I'm sure, 170 kilometers around Mont Blanc. How did your body and mind respond to those two huge efforts back to back? And have you had to take a lot of downtime after the John Muir tra Trail? I think this is why uh, I actually think that it's really important to keep my, my normal job mm -hmm. and my family and yeah. my normal life and a social normal life, not like an athlete life. Mm -hmm. Because after UTMB, it's dependent each year, but this year uh, I have to be at a uh, winner for like mm -hmm. 30 hours after UTMB to prepare the harvest. <laughs> and I have a very full week with that and I cannot sleep a lot and I was really, really tired after that, mm -hmm. even more than UTMB. Mm -hmm. But I, I can't think during this week about running, about try running. Mm -hmm. So normally the week after UTMB, if you are like an athlete life, you always have interview, you think about that, about your recovery, you go to yeah. the physio. For me, I, I, it was impossible for me. Mm. So I think for the body, maybe it was not so, so good, but I'm not sure. But for the mind, I, I'm sure it was just perfect because I, I was totally out of that. And, and then 10 days after UTMB, I was, I think, ready again to Okay, I, I want to be in the nature, in the mm -hmm. mountain, and, and and run again. And if I was, if I have not this uh, one year staff, I'm sure I I was again in my I, I should be again in my UTMB, and it was not like, mm -hmm. not like that. So I think it's important for me to keep family staff, social staff, mm -hmm. and everything. And yeah, John Mutter, I. I don't have many possibilities because you know it's very very long. Right. So if I plan it before UTMB. I'm, right, I'm not sure I would be able to run UTMB, and so after after October in Sierra, it's sometimes very cold. So I speak a lot with you about that, and you say to me, yeah, it's, maybe it's okay, maybe not. You will see. But finally, it was just the sky like that during like two weeks. It was just. Perfect. The only problem no was the long day, long, long yeah. night times and short days. In yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, and yeah, during the night it was really cold, <laughs> but uh, but at least there's no one on the trail. We were, well, it was really, really nice. Incredible. But yeah, I think the recovery is just because my mind recovered very, very well. Mm -hmm. Just and when you go home and yeah. you're on the vineyard with your family. And then we come here with some, with seven friends, so mm -hmm. I said, okay. Even if I cannot beat the record, I'm just mm -hmm. here to to have the, maybe one of the biggest half Montreal yeah. in my life with my friends. It's an incredible place, so I say, okay, I start. If I if I do three days, I do three days. Mm -hmm. If I do eight days, I will do it. It's not a problem. I will be happy at mm -hmm. the end. 
and when you start in this like feelings for sure your body answer up very well mm -hmm. so I think that's it. Cool. Yeah. Well, well, Francois, thank you so much for coming. It's, uh, it's again, it's great to have you here in racing in the U.S. And uh, it was nice to have a champion interview with you. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> um, no, but uh, yeah, best of luck this weekend, and uh, yeah, enjoy a nice long adventure here. Yeah, no, I'm really happy to run like with Jim and some other guy yeah. from US and yeah. all the cowboys here. Yeah, I think it would be really, really nice to see them again, to see some other athletes and and the how it's enthusiastic to run that race. It's incredible when you pass in Forest Hill, you see how many people were there. Maybe there's more more public than more than, than runner. It's yeah. just incredible than that, that race. And yeah, there's something special around that race, and it's really, really nice. So uh, I'm really happy to enjoy it with you. Good. Good. Well, let's have our live audience give Francois a round of applause. <laughs> and we'll be back after just a tiny little break with Casey Licktime. <laughs> Okay, so we're back again with Nebraska's own Casey Lichtai. <laughs> this is five years in a row for you. Yes. You're the 2015 champion of the 16. race. 16, 2016 champion of the race. Um, and I, we spoke. We spoke to Stephanie Violet this morning, and I asked her the same question. Looking back now on these five years, and particularly having won the race which is something that very few of us will ever be able to even dream about doing. What has that meant to you as an athlete and as a person to be able to be the Western States champion and what does it mean to you to come back to the race so many years in a row? Definitely this race has become part of who I am as a person. Um, I just The community and everything about it and so I just want to keep coming back and experiencing it and seeing all the new people that are coming and them getting the chance to run this race so it's um, it's been a really life-changing moment. Good. So, 
If the if the live audience doesn't know, that's Andy Jones Wilkins. If the online audience, I'm sure the online audience heard AJW's arrival here. Um, I want to ask about something that I'm seeing in the women's American ultra running contingent right now. There is a real um, evolution towards the idea of competing with women as opposed to competing against. And I almost feel like it's started at this race in the last three or four years with the picnics that you guys have at sunrise on the escarpment. Can you talk about your, yeah, your sunrise dates and can you talk about what's going on with women's American ultra running in that, in that spirit right now? Definitely, um, like for us that we were out here, we came to this type of sport because of the community and the involvement of being together and seeing it like you know, our friends doing the same things that we are, it's it's a sense of community again and just being able to be together, enjoying the sunrise and knowing that we're all in this together, 100 miles, we're going to help each other along the way. You may be first, you may be second, you know, it doesn't matter as long as they're having the best day and we're all friends and that's what's important, like that's what this is about is that we are all friends and rather being a competitor, you're trying to compete against yourself and to help others along the way. So last year you were at this race and you had, I don't know, is it fair to call it an epic of sorts from oh, the River yeah. Inn? Oh yeah. And I mean, it, it took the companionship of women, right? It was a, it was like a women's journey onto the finish. So um, yeah, what does it mean to like keep coming back to this race that's just got like such a strong, positive female presence? Yeah, maybe tell the story about how Stephanie yeah. kind of picked you that's up there true. at your low point. Yeah, so at the river I was uh, having the lowest point you can imagine and I was sitting there for probably over an hour sitting there contemplating on whether to get my wristband cut or not and I was just, I didn't think I could have it in me to you know walk 20, 20 more miles to the finish and so I had my own pity party and I sat there and thought about it more and more and more and Stephanie, she, Stephanie Case, if you haven't heard of her, she's an amazing runner, an amazing person. She come in and sat down and she started just like chatting along. Her crew brought her like chicken McNuggets from McDonald's. She's eating these and like having the time of her life. And she's like, oh yeah, I had like thrown up like just about two minutes ago. I'm doing really well, but I'm just gonna keep going. And she's like, what, why are you here? She's like, I don't expect to see you. And I said, I wasn't expecting to be here, but you know, things happen during a hundred miles and I just can't get myself out of this hole. And she's like, well, you're finishing, right? And I said, oh, I don't think so. And she's like, oh, you're finishing. <laughs> and she basically, she said, yeah, she pulled me up out of my chair, threw a light on around my waist and said, let's go to the river. We're going. And she drug me to the river. We got in the boat and I said, okay, you can get me this far, but I'm getting across. And I'm just going to drop at Greengate. And then I started going and she picked my spirits up. Everybody else around there was. And I got across the river and I said, Okay, Miguel, we're finishing this, and Miguel's my pacer, and we, uh, that's what happened. If it wasn't for her and her bringing me out of that really deep hole I had dug myself in, I wouldn't have finished. So, the sense of community and something I will never forget. Awesome. Sorry, we're trying to tell AJW to shut up from uh, the front of the road. Can you please take care of that? Well, <laughs> oh, not to go from one difficult experience to another, but 
shortly after UTMB last year, I think you had a pretty serious injury. Um, and I, I'm not entirely sure what it was, but maybe if you could sort of walk us through what your injury was and, and how your progression has been to recover and heal from that and how your body's feeling now leading up to Western States. Sure, so after UTMB, I did the mistake of not recovering well and I ended up running too much too soon right afterwards and I was running a race I ended up um, the last half mile of the race having a stress fracture and ended up not knowing it right away but it ended up making me debilitated basically for the next several months so that was in October like crutches debilitated yeah like you couldn't do anything no um, for four weeks I was supposed to be non-weight bearing and um, it literally happened on October 22nd November 22nd I got the email from Ultra Tour about getting into Western States. <laughs> and so here I am, unable to even walk and using crutches still, thinking, oh my gosh, I have to go back to that race. This is the race of my life. Like, I love this race so much. So I knew right then that I was going to dedicate my complete fall, winter, everything to getting recovered. And I was not going to have anything going to, you know, set me back. And so I went through physical therapy. I did so much cross training and lifting weights and everything just to be able to get to the start line and today I can say I'm 100% healthy and I'm super happy. <laughs> um, talk about, because you were, so you were non-weight bearing for a period of time and then you could do little walks and you added in little runs and you eventually did some shorter races and you were able to do a 50 mile race at Silver State in May, um, which you also won, like you've won every race in your comeback basically. Um, talk about the process of adding in miles and training, going from zero to a hundred, literally. Yes, I remember the first day I was thinking about, I, I can't run a mile. I don't know how I'm going to run a hundred miles and is this something I should, you know, I, I was really scared. So. I built up very slowly and I did a marathon, a trail race um, down in Kansas and I thought, okay, this will be the first step. If I can get through a trail race that's a marathon distance, I can take another step forward. And I was able to run that race. Then I thought, okay, I recovered from that. I was sore. I still had injury soreness off and on, but I knew it wasn't the sharp soreness that had been previously. So. The next stage was, okay, I'm going to sign up for Silver State, which I knew would be a really good test for me. And if I could finish that, I knew I could run 100 miles. And thankfully, my body was healthy and, and it, it went really well and I was really happy and had continued on then since then and just taking slow steps to get there, but it's, I've not had a setback. Well, it's, it's good that you're a physical therapist and you were able to keep yourself in check and be intelligent in your comeback. I wanted to ask you about something else that I found to be really cool recently in that your mom ran and finished her first 100-mile race. I have goosebumps just thinking about it. <laughs> she did. Can you tell us about what that was like to like help your mom get ready for it and seeing her finish and, and how cool that was? That's going to be one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. Uh, she signed up for this race last year actually. She was going to run Kettle Moraine uh, 100 last year. My grandma had her bout of cancer and so she wasn't able to train for it. So this year we decided that would be her goal race. And she asked me to pace her the last 37 miles of it and so it was phenomenal to see her get there. 
she was healthy the whole way through her training. Um, she she ran the race. I got to pace her. She had the most positive attitude, and she would get these lows, and she'd be like, "I'm not quitting. I'm gonna finish." And just the remarkable experience to to have with your mother like that is something I will never forget, and I will always cherish. And she is already thinking of her next 100. So <laughs> she's she's excited. Slow. Of course. Is she gonna be here this weekend? No, she oh, can't okay. be, but. Yeah. She would love to be. She'll be watching I Run Far, I'm sure. And to all those out there, she stopped smoking at age of 40, picked up running. She ran, you know, like one to two miles at a time. And now she's 56, first 100. So it's out there for everyone that you can do this at any age in your life. Ultras are for everybody, literally. Uh, yes. Well, that's a great lesson and uh, a great place to end. So give it up for the 2016 champion, Casey Lichtai. Best of luck to you. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment with Ryan Sands. Sorry I interrupted. It's okay. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Directors, I hit a blank now. Uh, yeah, yeah, great. So yeah, like kind of chopping down trees on on the route and stuff. It's just cool that like the community is part of part of that. Like, He's out is, there. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's like big enough, but it's not like a massive like factory or like yeah. kind of fun like UTMB like a little bit like too all of this stuff. Yeah. Did you tell EJ that we'd be a little farther? Yeah. Okay. 
All right, are we good? All right, and we are back. I run for live at Western States. It's happy hour here at Coffee Bar. It's happy hour wherever you are at home. Yes, we're here with last year's champion, the one and only Ryan Sands. Yes, you've had uh, quite an interesting history here at the race, uh, having run in one of the most incredible battles in race history against Timothy Olsen, the year he broke the record, running one of the fastest times ever. Then you had some adversity, having to drop out of the race before it even started in 2015 with a stomach bug, having flown all the way from Cape Town. And then finally coming back last year and winning the race. Maybe talk a little bit about how satisfying that was and are you happy you don't have to put yourself through it again this weekend? Yeah, it's, I think like Western States will always be part of my blood and yeah. kind of my, my DNA or like kind of, I'm kind of frothing not to, not to be racing on, on, on Saturday a little bit, but it's cool to be a part of the race and um, kind of pacing and I, as, yeah, I guess I at least um, only have to run the, the last 60, 60 Ks and it's not, not, not the full race, but... Um, so you're yeah. doing Forest Hill all the On way to the finish. Yeah, that's, that, that's a plan if I can keep up with yeah. Francois. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th I think last year was definitely like just a really magical day for me and one of the best days of my life. And yeah. I think like part of the reason maybe not coming back this year, apart from being completely smashed from, from the Himalaya project, yeah, right. was um, thinking that I couldn't better last year mm -hmm. um, and just like match that day. But... Um, I think just being back here now again, I, I realize I, I want to be back. It's just something so unique and special about this race. So just talk a little bit about last year's race, because it was sort of historically difficult conditions. Yeah. And you managed to run, I think, 16 hours and 20 minutes on a day where almost everybody was an hour and 15 hour and 20 minutes slower than they usually run on the course. So, you know, theoretically, it could have been equivalent to about a 15 hour race, which is mind-bogglingly fast. How hard of a day was it for you, and, and how hard was it for you to be chasing Jim for 80 miles or whatever it was? Yeah, it was definitely like I was destroyed from, from the river onwards. Um, one of the, or the toughest day of my life from a, a running point of view. Um, luckily, like from the start, I think we, I ran side by side with Jim for about two or 300 meters, and then I, I asked him <laughs> if he's still going for for sub and he said like hell yeah baby and <laughs> off he went um, so he was so far ahead he like I didn't even think about him um, I knew he was either gonna have like a magical day or I was gonna pass him somewhere completely destroyed and yeah. luckily it, it was the latter so from that that point of view like I started and I'd like I just knew it was one of those days I was, I was feeling really really good again and just everything felt pretty smooth and yeah, it was just about pacing and, and running my own race and really trying to look after myself in, in the heat. I think it's so crucial for, for, for this race and not getting too far ahead of myself. And yeah, like I think I got into Forest Hill and Jim was nearly an hour ahead. So I, I knew it was massive, but some of the feedback I got, I knew it at... Um, uh, well, I saw you there. I remember yeah. telling you he looks he looks gassed, yeah. but he was an hour ahead of you at that point. Yeah, I, I heard he threw up at Forest Hill, and then also even at the 30-mile mark, um, the A station after Duncan Canyon. Yeah, um, yeah. Robinson. Yeah, Robinson Flat. I heard he had already like, sat down, so I knew he must have like pushed pretty hard through the snow, which I try to be a little little conservative going through, through there. So I knew something wasn't right, but 
yeah, when, when someone's an hour ahead of you, it's just like a whole whole nother world. Can you talk about, I mean, one of the things that I saw you do at the race last year that I didn't necessarily see all of the th front runners do is slow down and take your time to like get yourself wet. You put ice everywhere. You had like this epic hat and this epic ice bandana that you left aid stations with. Talk about, talk about, yeah, just slowing it down and being methodical about that stuff. Yeah, I think like the main thing for, for me was just to try and cool myself down at the aid station. So, yeah, I had that Super Mario style kind of ice hat. <laughs> I love it. I actually want one. <laughs> yeah, it, it look, looks normal when it's not, not full of ice, but when it's full of ice, it's pretty... Um, you are Super Mario, literally. Yeah. <laughs> you like and, the hair to match, too. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then obviously the ice, ice buff and ice in the sleeves. Just, yeah, really, really trying to cool myself down because it's just... So brutally hot out there. Um, I think the canyon was just baking. I just remember, like one minute you're feeling fine, and the next minute you just hit this hot pocket of of air, and you just get feel like completely knocked out. So yeah, keeping like iced and 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 really like wet the whole day really helped. And, um, and did you go into the um, like? There's a couple of places where you can get into water besides the river crossing. Did you take the time to get yourself wet at those places? Yeah, um, like mainly it was ice up until the river, but um, the river crossing, I probably didn't spend enough time in, in, in the river. Um, I was actually feeling so terrible there and there are a lot of people around there. I think Brian is there. I, I, didn't, I was trying to put in a bit of a poker face and just get out of there as quick as possible. Because Alex so, was actually really close at that yeah, point too. So yeah, so that, that's why I was, I was pretty worried. I had kind of flashbacks of, of 2012 where I passed Timothy Olsen and then he came steaming past me and I never saw him again so that was definitely going, going through my mind so I, I try to get up to Greengate as, as quick as possible and, and those a couple of creeks after Greengate okay. um, I got in one or two of them and my pacer Reina actually had to kind of drag me out of one I was, I was pretty happy yeah. just to I guess there's another runner yeah. called Killian Jornet who yeah, spent a lot of time in one of those there, creeks. Think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, those I'll creeks have a magnetic force. <laughs> well, that's so cool, man, and it's—I mean, just a dream come true, I'm sure, for you to, to get it done last year. And of course, you're back, and you don't get to just hang out this weekend. You're sort of in a high-pressure situation, yeah. pacing Francois, who's obviously one of the best in the world, maybe the best of all time at the distance. Um, how did that idea come up? Did he ask you to come, or did you? Did you? Did um, Solomon ask you guys to do it together? Or? Yeah, I was chatting to, to Greg, our team manager, about my like schedule this year, and yeah, I was trying to find an excuse just to, to, to get back here, so I suggested to him and, and spoke to Francois earlier this year, and he was like, cool, it would be great to, to have you part of the team, so yeah, that was kind of my, my idea to, to get back here, but yeah, really cool to to kind of see how Francois does things. Do you guys have like strategy or have you given him like advice about how you've been yeah. successful in the race? Because he's had, he's had some troubles at the race yeah. and it's rare for him to have troubles, so. Yeah, from like a running point of view, not, not too much, but like from like cooling down and, and approaching the race, yeah, I've yeah. tried to kind of impart a bit of knowledge, but um, yeah, geez, Francois needs no kind of intro <laughs> yeah. to underbite <laughs> The um, pacing Forest Hill to the finish is pretty serious business. Like I'm sure you had to train for it. Yeah, I was, I was a little um, nervous because after Himalayas, I've taken it pretty easy. Okay. So um, I actually last weekend I did a run with with Francois and we went out in the first part of the course and 
um, yeah, I was sucking a little bit of, of air behind him um, and he said it was just an easy jog but um, luckily when you're running now down in, in, in the canyons and it warms up a little bit, um, you're kind of a little bit more evenly matched. Your and, South and African blood starts cooling yeah. down because yeah. he heats up. Yeah. And the fact that he's run 100 kilometers yeah, exactly. already, uh, <laughs> that'll be a good uh, governor. Um, well, let's talk a, a tiny bit about what you have coming up. I know uh, you're going to UTMB at the end yeah. of the summer. Uh, a race you've had some problems at, yeah. some adversity at, and I think you're going to Europe shortly after you leave here. Talk about your uh, your preparation going into UTMB. You'll probably start pretty soon, and what does that look like for you? Yeah, so doing, doing UTMB, I need to get my butts into gear, kind of from a, a running point of view, and start, start getting some mileage in my legs. So. Yeah, you look like you've let yourself go. Yeah, yeah. yeah slacking. Um, yeah, I think living in, in, in Cape Town, I guess, is a bit like you. Living in San Fran, it's really hard to get like big mountains yeah. uh, running in. So, yeah, I'm going to do two or three weeks now after this in, in Europe just to try and get a bit of training and then go back to the family and then head out to UTMB about two weeks beforehand. So, that's the plan. And next weekend, I'll do the Stubai Ultra. It's kind of a, an ultra out there up to running, I think it's like 60 Ks with about 6,000 meters of vert. So. That's in France good. or? It's in uh, Austria. So, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it sounds like uh, you're setting yourself up for a good one. Yeah. I uh, so. hope, okay. hope you don't have another rough one there. And well, hopefully, I'll make it around the mountain this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for the interview. Thanks. Best of luck in pacing. Thanks, yeah. And uh, we'll be back in just a minute with a little prognostication session with that loud guy back there, Andy Jones Wilkins, Brian Powell, and Dylan Bowman. So we'll be back in just a second. Round of applause for our champion. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, that's yeah. great. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. See you. Yeah. See you later. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Were you out on the I think, am I in the middle? Oh boy. Oh, you gotta be in the middle. Okay. AJW, don't trip on the. Yeah. You can limbo. Do I have to limbo it? You're not gonna step over it with those, without any labrums. With all those, with all those yeah. hip. So, how much time do we have? I'm gonna get my, can my phone out so that we. Debo's running. Right, I'm going right. to try and give us a little bit of structure here. Good luck. <laughs> Just so uh, everybody's familiar with sort of what we're trying to accomplish here, of course, 
Hey, Debo, way to go, man. Welcome. Hey, everyone, say hi to Debo. Yeah, he's been working his ass off this week. This is not work for me. This is too easy. Um, anyway, we're just going to like kind of BS about the race a little bit, talk about what we think is going to happen, who we're looking at. You know, these guys are a wealth of knowledge. So, you know, we hope it's entertaining for you guys here and obviously the, the live audience as well. Um, but I guess jump right into it. We're, I'm, I'm Dylan Bowman. Brian Powell. Brian Powell. Andy Jones-Wilkins. Good to see everybody. Between the, uh, the three of us, I think we have 17 finishes. Andy takes up 10 of them, but uh, Brian and I together have, uh, have seven. I have three, you have four, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Theirs are better than mine. <laughs> you're top 10 seven years in a row. Let me tell you about 2005. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that year. <laughs> All right, rein it in, guys. We're already, already off track. So I kind of want to just go through a couple subjects to try and give us a little bit of structure. The first being the conditions of this year's event. Andy, of course, you've been at this race every year for I don't know how many years, at least a dozen or more. And can you tell us like what to expect on Saturday and how it might compare to a previous running of the race? I think I think the, the if the forecast holds true, it'll be the third or fourth hottest race in the in the history of the race. Mm. Uh, that's just based on the Auburn temperatures and all of that. I think it'll be fun to see how that plays out when it all's said and done, but it's going to be a hot year. Yeah. So uh, in terms of historical comparisons, though, is there, is there another year, you think? Yeah, it's going to be like 95 and 06. Yeah. You think it's going to be that hot? Yeah, but it's, it's not, not going to have baking. It's not going to have the preheating, so it's going <laughs> to maybe, you know, it's going to maybe be a little bit softer than that. But, you know, the, the current race administration is not going to, like, wussy course it and skip Michigan Bluff or skip Robinson Flat or something like that. So it's going to be a hot year, but it's going to be a pretty badass year, and it's going to reward somebody who's patient, who's smart, who maybe even has been here before. Anything else about the conditions? Obviously, no snow this year. Yeah, which I, I actually think in some snow years, it can actually be a little faster through the high country. It's pretty, the most sort of technical sections of the course are early. And when they're covered by snow and it's not just this little snaking path, you can go point to point fast. Right. So it might slow down the high country a little bit yeah. for some people who are proficient at that. And the pre-baking, I mean, the preheating people might not know about is sometimes the heat waves build for a couple, like a week or five days and the canyons just bake and heat up day after day, and so it stays a lot hotter at night. Those rocks just glow, practically. Right, the, the, and the runners are not gonna have like the heat coming up from below. It's not gonna be 85 degrees at midnight. Right. Yeah, Yeah. which is nice. Yeah, and I, I sort of see it kind of similar to 2013, which was super hot year. The second year that Tim Olson won the race, he ran about 15, 15, I think, to, to win. and. I think uh, just looking at the at the forecast, that was a year too where it was extremely hot, but it wasn't hot in the few days leading up to the race. But I think the the big variable that I've experienced in the race is how early it gets hot. Do you guys know offhand like what they're expecting early in the morning? Because oftentimes the hardest years are the ones where it starts warm and gets hot early, rather than the, the races that have the highest. Well, I think it's 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 definitely tracking like 2013. And that would be a really hot day early, and you had kind of got to have your shit together by, like Duncan, 
and if you don't have maybe a second bottle going from Duncan to Robinson, you're going to get behind, and and if you get behind, you're never going to get ahead. So here's a little. So, I, I here's a little tip. I mean, people often will try to go as light as they can in carrying water, but maybe you always carry a sports drink in one bottle. Carry water in that second bottle because if you're not drinking all of it. Use that to cool yourself yeah. in the high country. Yeah, you're, you're not yeah. a lot of places to dip or get snow or anything like that for yeah. most of the race. What I've said to a lot of people, including the the guy who I'm going to be pacing, is especially for the people who are wearing a vest. You know, if you have the two two bottles in your vest, carry a third empty one mm -hmm. at least, just so you can you know fill that up with water, like you said, to keep yourself cool or to obviously supplement mm -hmm. hydration. And you can catch up a little bit if you need to. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, just to like give us some some structure, we're going to talk a bit about the fields now, starting with the women's race. And so I want to kind of prompt you guys, but in in a way that's sort of specific, so that we don't go open ended for hours. So <laughs> I can't imagine why that would happen. Start with Andy. Hey, Andy, who are uh, who are maybe like the two or three women that you think have a legitimate shot to win the race? I, you know, I think Courtney DeWalter is the woman who's going to win the race. Okay. If she runs her race, if she's smart, and she is smart, if she pays attention to what she needs to pay attention to, she's going to win. The challenge for her is there's a chase pack that has experience, that has smarts, that has like just that it factor. Mm -hmm. And if this year turns out to be one of those races that has an it factor, like 26 had, like 1998 had, like 1985 had, then she's going to lose. Yeah. But if she's ready to respond to that, she's going to win. So you think she's the most talented woman in the field, and as long as she does the right thing, she's going to pull it off? Who no, do you, do you think no, I don't. I don't think she's the most talented woman in the field. I, I, I think I think you measure. <laughs> That's a different. Yeah. I, I think that was cool for you to put words in my mouth like that. <laughs> you know, for a young little kid like you to say, "Oh, so you're saying she's talented, so she's going to win." I think she's a smart, hard, fast runner who knows how to run hundred mile races. But after seventy miles, it's about a whole lot more than just that. Totally. You know. And I don't know if she has that. Mm -hmm. Only she's going to know the answer to that. And only we are going to get the answer to that question on Saturday night, Sunday morning. And I would say we saw a little bit of that back uh, last fall when she ran the Moab 240. I think we did. I mean, not that that's, I don't think it's quite as an impressive performance as some people may lay it out to, because she won overall and all that. But it's the fact that she was still running relatively strong after all those miles, after all that terrain. And if, right. you, if she can continue to do that out on a really hot, tough day at Western State, she can run that last 30, 40 miles very quickly. And if she can't, there are some really, really so maybe talented... maybe one or two more women that you, you're looking well, at. Well, I, I would be really worried yeah. about Casey Lichtai, Stephanie Violet, and Eliza Lafayette. Yeah. And then... Yeah, maybe Lucy uh, Bartholomew and uh, Elsa McDonald. I mean, I would be really worried if I was front running in this field about those five. Hmm. And it's going to be so dynamic and so fun and so interesting to yeah. see. I mean, if they if if Courtney screws it up, they're going to be ready to unscrew it up for her. Yeah. 
What about you, Brian? I mean, AJW really did a good job of hitting on those very front runners, and I think sort of the X factors here. I mean, we have the, the Courtney's and the Casey and the Stephanie, and having people like Camelia Mayfield mm -hmm. and Caitlin Gerben, who are in a great race, yeah. Amanda Basham, mm -hmm. uh, Elsa uh, McDonald, like those folks can surprise. Right. And on a, the hot days like this really shake things up. Right. And you can have somebody who you, you don't think can quite maybe necessarily win the race on paper, or is maybe the favorite. And totally nails it. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't know if you would have called Pam Smith before she won, or I wouldn't right. totally. No, wouldn't. Like, and no. She's one of those can be. Yeah. I mean, she's here, she's but she's an and she's still yeah. here, but, but but she's got a cougar in her closet. Yeah. <laughs> Must be nice. Or on your offer. So I, I don't have much to add to that. I think you guys covered most of the the important and interesting stuff. So maybe what's another thing in the women's field before we transition to the men's field? Another maybe non-elite storyline that you guys are interested in following. Are you going to talk about Diana Fitzpatrick? Oh, right? my God, Diana <laughs> Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Diana Fitzpatrick has finished the race four times, all under 24. She's 60 years old. She is, I mean, we love Gunhild Swanson. We, we, we all do. But Gunhild ran a 25-something. Diana's going to crush that. Yeah. Guaranteed. You can mark that down. I mean, Diana is going to run. I mean, if she if she goes over 24, it's not going to be by much. But, man, she knows how to run the race. She's smart. She's sophisticated. She's been in these mountains before. Gunhill did awesome stuff when she was here as a 60-year-old. As a Diana's going to crush it. Right. Uh, I knew he was going to talk about Diana. Like, that's, that's the, the other woman's story, and it's really gonna be a good one yeah I, I actually had that written down too and diana's a, a good personal friend of my wife and i we actually had dinner with them last week and she seems uh, she seems very ready so that'll be an interesting thing for everybody else to follow as well i mean then i mean just megan laws again i mean like we talk about <laughs> diana but like megan laws is now 57 correct and like going to crush it again like she was the top pick for eighth in our prediction contest mm -hmm. and that's a Safe pick to be somewhere in that sixth to tenth, or maybe even better on a ridiculous. I mean, day. the amazing thing about Megan is she's going to be in the running for the forty and under. She could win Masters. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, great. Well, I think uh, let's transition now to the men's race. I think it's a little bit more predictable in terms of the favorites. Uh, a little bit more concrete mm -hmm. with Jim and Francois and Tim Frerichs in the field. So uh, maybe instead of talking about that. Let's sort of hear who you guys are looking at to be kind of a dark horse, Seth Swanson type person who might show up and, and surprise and be on the podium. I, I mean, I kind of have to look in the other direction that there's just such a solid, a set of solid guys who show up in this particular year, a hot year. And mm -hmm. just so many of them from the, we always think of Jeff Browning or Ian Sharman, but right. there's like the, the Paul Giblins and the Jesse Haynes and all these guys who like, I don't want to bet against them finishing in the top 10, yeah. especially in a rough year like this. Kyle Pitieri, yeah. I don't know if I'm saying that yeah. right, but that guy is ready to go. Yeah. He finished last year on a broken ankle. Yeah, basically. I, yeah. I mean, he's a badass, and he's smart. And, you know, I, I, I do want to talk about Jim for a second because <laughs> it's it's like third strike and you're out. Yeah. And I've been around the race long enough to know that you can't do that for too much yeah. longer. Yeah. So he's going to have to run his race. He's going to have to have his shit together. Mm -hmm. 
he's going to have to really pay attention to like how he's feeling and what he's doing and 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 what he knows he can do and what he knows he can't do mm-hmm. um, because there's guys chasing him that have been chasing him for years I, I've thought a lot about it and, and he's an Air Force guy right mm-hmm. I mean there's Army and Navy guys who just jump right in and there's Marine guys who like see the big picture the Air Force guys they don't really know where they fit and I think that's a lot about what Jim is doing here. He doesn't really know where he fits. And Saturday is a time for him to say, here's where I fit. Mm-hmm. And if he, if he crashes and burns and shits the bed again, yeah. then, then we all know, like, that's where he fits. Uh. But if he goes and runs, you know, a, a 15-10 and wins the thing in a hot year, yeah. then we also know where he fits. And I think that's important for the sport. It's important for like all of us who aspire to be something better than ourselves to actually listen to that. Yeah. And, and frankly, I think it's the same way for Courtney. It's the same way for Eliza. It's the same way for Kyle. It's the same way for people who have been around the sport long yeah. enough. Yeah. You know, Ian and, uh, and, and even um, uh, uh, Jeff, yeah. like to really, really find themselves in the sport. Mm-hmm. Because if there's something that differentiates ultra running from like sprint running or Olympics or cycling, or it's that you can find yourself in the sport. And the sad part about Jim is he hasn't done that yet. And yeah. I really want him to do that. Yeah, we kind of tried to press him on that a little bit in, in our interview with him and see how he's going to approach it this year. Because I think having employed the strategy that he has of just fireworks from the gun and have it backfire twice, if he does it a third time, then it's sort of like, what are you doing? You know. So it will be interesting to see how he chooses to execute the race, particularly with guys like Francois and Tim in, in the field who like to race aggressively as well and put pressure on the rest of the field early in the race. So I, I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, I mean, I think just talking about those couple front runners like Jim, Francois, and Tim, if any of them win, they have to kind of do something that they've never done. Jim, Jim has to stick it. Tim's running his first hundred. Well, Francois think, is like this is, you know, he's crushed it. He's the best mountain hundred miler, hundred mile runner in the world. But he hasn't nailed a race like this. So like, if any of them do it, it's kind of a breakout establishment kind of race. Well, I think that's a really interesting point. In that, yeah, Francois, this would be a, a like kind of a a different type of course that he's tip, you know typically won on and been super successful on. Obviously, one of the best of all time. Uh, Frerix has won like some of the biggest races in the world, so he's got the experience having done that at Transvolcania and TNF, but he hasn't done the 100 miler. So, yeah, I think that's a, a super you know, I turn it around, Dylan, and say, I wish you were in this race. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm know, glad I'm not, <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad I wish you were, yeah. you know, because the way you've run in the last six years, the way you've been smart about your training. The way you've been sophisticated in your understanding of what the sport is and what it should be and what it can be, I hope that we're sitting at this table in two, three, five years and talking to you about this stuff. Because, I mean, God, this is Dylan Bowman, everybody. Let's hear it for him. I mean, the guy, the guy has... 
The guy has picked his spots. He's incredibly smart. If you were in the field this year, you would certainly be, I mean, because Brian wouldn't be in the field. So you'd be the <laughs> smartest guy in the field. Thank you. Megan's not in the field, too. So you'd be, if she was in, you'd be the second smartest person in the field. But the truth is, Dylan, what you've, and I'm so glad you're here that, that I can do this. You, what you've done and, and, and made a difference in people's understanding of the sport is, yeah, here we are, and there's all these guys that we're talking about who are, you know, 36 hours away from starting this race. But you really, Dylan, have sent a message to the rest of us that we can be better. We can be stronger. We can be smarter. And most of all, we can be smarter. And you're a smart guy. You're a sophisticated guy. And when, when the dust settles on all this stuff, I hope that you're back here running this race and running a 14 41 59. So that transitions me. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Andy, thank you, and I'll, I'll pay you for all that later. But, uh, I appreciate it, especially coming from you. It means a lot. But, I mean, before we – I, I kind of want to talk more about, like, the, the other men in the field, aside from the Jams and Tams and Francois. I know we're already going way over time, as is predictable. But uh, for me oh, – wait, there's a time, 37 minutes on the floor. There's a time limit on this thing? Um I mean, for me, the two guys I'm looking at, I, and one person I, th I think is shocking that he's not more, he's not being discussed more is Didrik Hermanson, who finished, oh, yeah. who finished second at this race two, two years, years ago. ago. And uh, and he's back and, you know, clearly flying on the radar. And Giblin, and, whatever his first you know, name is, Paul Giblin. Yeah, but, but I mean, a previous don't, podium don't finisher who almost nobody's him. talking about. And then we spoke to Chris Brown yesterday, who I was super impressed with. Yeah. Good head on his shoulders, great you know sense of humor and i see a lot like sweat seth swanson you know from 2014 who got in via the lottery didn't have to race a ton early in the season coming in fresh and focused on this race specifically and clearly talented having done well in, in his only 100 miler and also a tnf 50 in a world-class field so those would be my two well and chris brown did well on a hot day yeah. in san diego yeah 17 ish and he lives in santa barbara yeah. so i'm sure he's okay in the heat so i got a question for ajw this is a question i'm sure you thought of for yourself the men's 50 to 59 record is in play this weekend or is it I have, to, I have to think it is. I mean, I've thought, I've, I've noodled on that a lot. It's 1843. Latimer said it in, in 1989. Carl's put his eyes on it. Don't forget Dean Carnassus is here too. Uh, as a 55-year-old. That's a hard run. 1843, trust me, is hard on a pure course where you actually have to go to Robinson Flat and have to do it. I think Carl can do it, but it's going to take a perfect day. It's going to take a perfect day for Carl, and I'm not sure if he's ready for a perfect day. He, he'll probably tell us by Robinson Flat or Dusty if he is. But that's, I mean, if someone brings that down, yeah. It's going to be huge. Yeah, that's an incredible record. The other record that uh, I think is going to be interesting to watch and that I hadn't thought about until yesterday is Jeff Browning called out the, the Masters record, uh, oh, yeah. which Mike Morton holds and uh, set in, I think, 2000. 
13. 13. Yeah, 15, 45, and Jeff's 46 years old, looking to go sub-16. Pretty Another incredible storyline there. If Jeff could do 15, 46, I'd be impressed. Yeah. Especially in these conditions. I mean, like, yeah. we're talking about age group records, and the men's 70 and up is also in play, but are any of these really in play with it being a his... Story Maybe not the top year. three, yeah. year, but it's going to be a dang hot it's year. It's going to be a hot year. It's going to be a hot so year, right? I mean, that's kind of kind of temper the expectations because there's years that, you know, I don't. I think you're going to have to break 16 to win, yeah. but, like, it might not be a low 15, yeah, yeah. high 14 year. Um, I mean, I, I think one or two guys will be under 15. And what I'd really love to see is a 16. woman. No, he's under, thinking, oh, under, under 15, 15 or, or under 16. Under 15. You think one or two guys under 15? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, if they're going to win. You have a hot take, you know. Well, no, that's right. <laughs> if they're going to win. That's right. Yeah. I, listen, I don't doubt your knowledge. Yeah. That's, yeah. But we're, I think. Don't spoil it because we have, that's that's our finisher. I think oh, it's, I think it's better. Yeah. I think it's better for three women to go under 18. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'd really like to see. Um, before we move off that topic, I think one other interesting storyline that's, I think, worthy of mentioning is Ian Charman, who has finished in the top ten eight years in a row. Andy's done it seven. Screw that guy. <laughs> I'm out of here. So, is he in the room somewhere? Yeah, Ian Charman, uh, you know, a true, true, you know, consistent yeah. champion of the sport who's been doing it as good as anybody at the distance for uh, a long time, at least in terms of consistency and stuff. I think that'll be... Interesting to see if he can go for number nine, and then of course next year going for number ten. So I remember, at the risk of boring people, this dude passed me in 2009, and my pacer said, "Oh, that's the guy who just got 24th at Comrades," and he like thinks Western States is a fun little hobby. <laughs> and it was the same guy who didn't even show up for the awards, oh. right? Because he didn't know, like he didn't know that the awards were like a thing. But that's Ian. And now he's going for number nine. He's going to get number ten, and he's going to crush us all. I mean, Eric Scadden and I were talking about it, and Tweetmeyer and Ann and I have talked about it too. I mean, the guy has done. Ian Sharman has has done something at Western States that. I think nobody really will understand until it's all said and done. But he's going to get 10 top 10s. I mean, Doug Latimer did it in a different era. Nikki Kimball did it on the women's side. Did Trayson do it? Oh, Trayson, yeah. Yeah. Just give him his perspective. Yeah. (laughs) There is that Ann Trayson thing. We all just put an asterisk. But, yeah, it's it's amazing. And, and, And so he just has to make a little challenge for himself and, and he'll be fine. No one's worried about Ian Charman. Yeah. But he's almost the most automatic person. You he is so automatic. automatic. Yeah. yeah. But you're not going to hear a word from him about him being automatic. He no. He gets it done. And right. He gets it done. He no rolls drama. in. Yeah. His, his heel still touches ass. <laughs> those majestic quads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever they are. Yeah. Um, all right, great. Well, unless you guys have anything to add to the men's thing, we can transition to who we think is going to win and in what time. I'm sure Powell has something to add. Who wants to start? Who wants to start? Uh, go for it. <laughs> you know, I... Both men and women. Maybe start with... I, I think it's time for Jim to win. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, I've seen him both years. I've gotten to know him a little bit. I, I still question a little bit of... 
what overtakes him mm-hmm. when he gets to that place between Robinson Flat and Dusty when you're just like feeling so good. But I honestly think he knows he has to have his shit together this year or he's done. I think he does too. And and if he and, and if he doesn't, frankly, Dylan and Brian, I'll be the first to tell him yeah. dude, you screwed this up and you know, you're screwed for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know. All right. So, what but, time does Jim? Run? I don't care about his yeah. time. Well, I want I'm, I want you to predict a time. You said at least two men under 15. What do you yeah. Well, Jim I mean, he's. I, I think he's going to be crawling after 1442. I mean, for those, I don't know if anyone was here in four, in in 2012, but it was like raining. Yeah. It was practically snowing. You might have run it that I did, year. I, did, I, did, I mean, did. it was a. It was like it was puffy cold. jacket or Robinson. I mean, it was puffy weather. jacket. <laughs> they had they had like 400 pounds of yeah. ice that just melted. At and, uh, flat. and and but for perspective, that was the year Ellie Greenwood broke the unbreakable. That broke the unbreakable record by Ann Tracy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the only woman to ever go under 17. So I mean, it, we're not going to have one of those years. Yeah. But I mean, if if Jim can. Can creep around 1450, 1455. You know, if he right. gets to 1450, we got him on record, Jim. 1450. Your 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 women's pick, Courtney. In what time? Courtney's fast as shit. I don't. I don't think Courtney. I don't think Courtney knows how fast she is. But I don't think she's ever had like. Casey, Stephanie, and uh, Eliza, and Lucy chasing her. Yeah. So she's going to have to go under 18. Yeah. You know, she's got, like, like only three, only two women have gone under 18, you know, Ellie and Anne and Casey, so three. I think she's going to have to be the fourth to go under 18, but it, it's going to be like 1750. Okay. I'm going to pick the same two people. I went back and forth on the men's win. Uh, mostly, does Jim blow up or not? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tim Ferriss was my pick before finally deciding on Jim. Uh, I'm going to say he just nails it. It's going to be a hot year, 1438. Woo! He's got the record! <laughs> Why not? Okay. Yeah. Why not? I, I guess I, fading, I, fading, I, fading to it. Fading. I guess I better get to the river in time. <laughs> All right, so what fading. About Courtney, but they, I mean, like, it's going to be a go out. Yeah. Uh, What's Courtney going to do? I, I, I'm hoping, I mean, it's her first go here. I yeah. mean, Jim has is, Jim is pushed to that line twice and failed. Maybe this third time, I think he just pushes toward it and gets it. Courtney hasn't. I hope she runs a, a little more conservative race and runs 18-10. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's, that's probably too wide a, des- like a disparity between the two fields. But, I mean, yeah. I'm Listen, going, yeah, but we're you, just I'm, guessing. Yeah, we're totally. Just guessing it was fine. Well, I'm glad that I have a different answer than both you guys on, on both. But so what do you got? Yeah, so on the men's side, I can't look past Tim Frericks. Not only do I think he's top five most handsome men in the sport, but... You mean has, the first four are you? <laughs> I got Hal Kerner, obviously. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't even... He's zero. Yeah. Um, right, no, but I think, I think Tim... Um, you know, he's got the experience winning big races, you know, and he, he, I think races aggressively, but not recklessly like, you know, Jim has a propensity to do. Plus 
He, I think, is more fresh coming into the race because he was injured earlier in the spring. He said he got a really mm -hmm. solid eight-week training block in, and he's getting fit at just the right time. And usually for me, that means that I'm fit and I have energy. And in this race, and particularly in 100-milers, I just think that's so important to have that, that uh, you know, desire to go to the well. There. So you have Tim winning. I got yeah. Tim winning, but I, I've got him at 15-10. So I don't have anybody under 15. No one under 15 because no of the heat. Because of the heat. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past Women's it. side? Women's side. I actually, I've got a good feeling about this one. And I picked Stephanie Violet to win her second Cougar. And for a few similar reasons, I think, well, first of all, she's a, she's a past champion. So, you know, she's done it before. She knows what it takes. She's also been on the podium another time. And she's had recent disappointment you know she had disappointment last year and that you can't discount the motivation that comes from that and i think she's finally passed like her her injury that kept her out of the sport her achilles which you know laid her up for a year i think is finally in her rearview mirror and i think she's hungry she's she's got great guidance from jason coop and has been doing really good training and, uh, yeah, just the experience factor, I don't think you can discount. But, again, I don't think it's going to be a super fast race. Stephanie has run, I think, 1801 in the past. Yeah. I've got to run an 1820 this year. So, quick question. We, Jim, Jim, Tim, does that mean we all pick Francois for second? <laughs> I didn't go that deep. <laughs> I mean, you just went with it's, one. It's insane to pick against the guy. I mean, yeah, he's yeah, the it, greatest 100-miler potentially ever, certainly of our generation. You know, yeah. You know, you look past Killian a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, the only thing that makes you look past him is like the heat. Does, well, the heat, the terrain is not necessarily in his wheelhouse, and does he does he have like the the energy again? You know, he he won UTMB in an insane battle, and I don't think you can discount what that takes out of you, and then. Six weeks later, he did the John Muir Trail and broke the record by 12 hours in like a, just an insane three-day excursion. But he also picks his battles. He, he picks run. his battles. Yeah, he so hasn't done it since. That's. I mean, I, I would not be shocked at all if Francois won and broke the record. But yeah, I mean, I, it's it's hard to pick against the Cowboys. And I think the other thing is that I think is interesting as it pertains to the Cowboys is Flagstaff. I think is just such a uniquely good place to train for this race. You have the altitude. You have the heat. You have the canyon where you can run downhill hard a lot, and you've got the community. You know, you've got people who can push you. And so I, I, I got to think that a cowboy is going to win the race, whether it's Jim or Tim, who knows. But I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, two or three of those guys, you know, or, you know, all four of them in the top ten. So what, what's the big surprise this year? What's the thing that we're not – thinking about what's this year's gun held what's this year's uh like person who melts down and know. then comes back to life the kind of the fun what's thought the i've had is a couple years ago we had uh was it annie trent coming in with a uh, gun held swanson mm -hmm. was it austin tweetmeyer who's running oh, yeah, austin sure. tweetmeyer I, like the, the I mean i hope he has a great race but i also have this picture in my mind of him finishing with one of those yeah. 70 Plus your old dude. Austin, last, Austin like, Tweetmeyer is just, in the race. Tim's offspring. 
Yeah, another one of those. Yeah, we, we actually tried to get them to come on the show just because I think that's such a, a great story. And just to wrap it up, Tim Tweetmeyer, who's on the board, has finished the race 25 times, all under 24 hours. An absolute legend for those of us who follow, follow the sport. Uh, but his son is running the race this year, and he is going to be pacing his son. And for the first time, I think he is not going to be uh, – he had some – responsibility that he used to do at the race every year that he can't do this year because he's going to be pacing his son to his, his first ever Western State. His responsibility yeah. is running out and chasing in the horses yeah. at the very end yeah. of the race, and he just couldn't commit himself to yeah. that. Well, I think that's a great place for us to wrap it up. I mean, we, we could go on forever, as you guys can tell, but we've been going for 30 minutes already, so we appreciate everybody's patience and uh, willingness to stick around. And, uh, you know, these guys are a wealth of knowledge, so if you see them around, ask them more questions. I think we should wrap it up by mentioning, obviously, the sponsors, uh, Drymax, Buff, and Jaybird Sports, who support I Run Far. The coffee bar, who has generously lent us their space for two days, asking nothing in return. So please get coffees from them this week. Um, and I just have to thank you, Dylan Bowman, for pestering us for yeah! four years to make this happen. He uh, did it! Finally. <laughs> thank you, everyone. And I think it's important to note that we need to thank Brian and Megan and Derek Lytle back there for I Run Far. I Run Far. I Run Far is the voice of the sport. There's no doubt it's the voice of the sport. You guys do so much for so little, and you make us feel oh so good about it. So to Brian and Megan and all that you guys do, let's hear it for Iron Falls. And that's a wrap. Now let's go get a beer. You already have one. <laughs> How do you not drink that? <laughs> I don't want to end that.